From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. Recording in progress. All right, this is Torah Studies. This is our week look at the Torah portion. Torah portion this week is Nasso, and we have so much to talk about. So we are going to talk about a few things. Let's set our intention. I sound very uh, new age, don't I? We're going to set our intention. Everyone does that, right? We set our intentions? I think so. All right, the intention tonight is to explore the laws of Nazar. What are the laws of being and becoming a Nazar? What's a Nazar? You ask and you wonder, perhaps? Tonight we're going to explore that. We're also going to explore the curious case of Samuel the prophet. Not Benjamin Button. Whatevs. This is the curious case. Look who's here. Hey, Olya. Welcome. There were rumors. There were rumors. The rumors have been confirmed. Okay, so the curious case of Samuel the prophet. So much to talk about. So little printed out text to uh, to navigate. But you guys will. You're in good hands. We'll navigate this. I'll read the text. Hopefully, this will make sense. You guys ready? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it, everybody. Okay, so we begin with this week's Torah portion. The Torah portion, as I mentioned before, is Nusso. It is a very long Torah portion. It's got, I think, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, it's the longest Torah portion. Um, it's the longest Torah portion um, as a single unit Torah portion. There are some portions that are doubled up. Sometimes you have a double portion, and when you have two together, it becomes a little bit, you know, it, then it, 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 uh, it eclipses the length of the single Torah portion. But as single Torah portions go, this is the longest. There are censuses. There are a lot. Oh, hey. <laughs> you got to, I think you, oh, I'm hearing myself. You got it? <laughs> awesome. All right, we have some local tune-ins. Get some, uh, some reverb. I know, right? It's like, how do we work this technology? Okay, so the Torah portion talks about the census of the Levites. It talks about the role of the Levites. It talks about um, donations of the tribal leaders. There's a lot of stuff that it talks about. And it also talks about the laws of, very interesting laws of the Nazir. What is the Nazir? Uh, the Nazir is somebody who takes a vow of abstention, right? Like, uh, you know, if April 15th comes around and you're late in your taxes, you can have an abstention of your taxes. Joking, that's an extension. What is abstention? What? No Jewish accounting jokes? What is this? Next thing you know, it's no Jewish lawyer jokes. Come on. What do you mean? It's like, what else, what else do we have? We have nothing. Um, back to the bus? I mean, that's a terrible joke. All right, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. So these are vows of abstention. What does abstention mean? Abstention means I'm not going to... Can I let Richard in? I didn't know Richard's not let in. Yeah, whoever knocks on the door of the Zoom, I will let in. Um, There's no one... No, the the virtual door. Yeah, but there's no one one in the waiting room right now. Um, 
What is the vow of Nazar? Let's look at the source. <laughs> Sam, read. All right, no, I'm kidding. I will read. I will read the text. Again, there are no in-person copies. That's the running joke in, in, in this space. I'm going to share my screen, which is going to help some of you. And we are going to take a look at what the Torah says. Now I hear somebody here. Somebody is actually here. And we, is it Richard? That would be amazing. That was fast. He couldn't get on Zoom, so he drove over as quickly as he could. <laughs> Who is it? All right, we'll figure that out. All right, let's do this inside. I have my text up over here for me, and I will share it with you verbally. So here we go. This is coming from Num- Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, but who's counting? Hey, hey, Lolly. Good to see you. All right, God spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and you shall say to them, A man or a woman who sets himself apart... I feel like the gender should be more inclusive there. A man or a woman who sets himself apart by making a Nazarite vow to abstain for the sake of God. The Torah says, He shall abstain from new wine and aged wine. He shall not drink even vinegar made from new wine or aged wine, nor shall he drink anything in which grapes have been steeped, and he shall eat neither fresh grapes nor dried ones. If you're wondering what it means is, no grapes or grape products. Nothing from the grape fam- family. Or family. Um, so raisins, out. See, like, craisins, totally in. Totally, craisins are, are cranberries. Totally in. Not a grape. Not a grape. All right, back inside. Four, verse 4. For the entire duration of his abstinence, he shall not eat any product of the grapevine. From seeds to skins. By the way, how do we know all these laws? Because you told us. I heard it through the grapevine. Uh, <laughs> I was going to break it out. I was going to break it out. All right. When's verse 5. <laughs> That's the next big thing. Right. Shh. Download. All right. <laughs> what do they call it? The review? Vegas review? Is that the word? All right. Verse 5. I heard it through. Verse 5. All the days of his vow of abstinence. Oh, but wait, there's more. No razor shall pass over his head. Until the completion of the term that he abstains for the sake of God, it shall be sacred, and he shall allow the growth of the hair of his head to grow wild. Okay? Next, verse number 6. All the days that he abstains for God, he shall not come into contact with the dead. To his father, no seeking out mediums. No, it means literally, to his father, to his mother, to his brother, to his sister... He shall not defile himself if they die, for the crown of his God is upon his head. For the entire duration of his abstinence, he is holy to God. So, those are the verses. Those are the verses from the Torah that speak about the laws of the Nazir. Make sense? If we had to summarize, this is open to everybody. If we had to summarize, theoretically, practically, what are the three restrictions of the Nazir? Let's go. What do we what do we encounter in the verses? This is open to everybody. A mute jump in. No great no products. Date, no no haircut, haircut and no death. Okay, so no grape or grape products. No wine, no grape juice, no, no vinegar made from wine, no um Yes, Christmas. No, no raisins. Gosh. Oh, you're driving me crazins. Huh. Right, no raisins, no raisins. What else was I thinking though? No um um, rice, ri- uh, rice vinegar is totally fine. 
Not, not a grape. Not a grape. Anything grape, it's not good. What about those fancy, you know, you wrap things in grape leaves? What are those fancy? What, yeah. Yeah. Great product. That would be out. See you later, alligator. That is not allowed. Huh? Oh, it's a leaf. It's a grape leaf. Oh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm going to say it's involved with the grape. I'm going to say anything grape adjacent, you're out. That's what I'm going to say. I mean, we'll have to look in actual halacha to see the actual r- ruling on that. But I'm going to assume that anything grape related, yeah. Grapes, leave it alone. Oh, very good. Oh, that's very good. Very good. Honestly, David, I'm just going to say that that joke makes makes me a little agitated. I didn't come up with it. I'm feeling some grapes of wrath. Oh, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Grapes for days. All right. That was not my grapest effort, but nonetheless. Moving along. Uh, the second item that, that the Nazar cannot do is get a haircut. No haircuts. No haircuts. No razor, no blade on the head. Yep, that's it. No haircuts. The third item, sorry, did I go out of the order? I don't know if I did. The third item is no coming in contact with the dead. No going to funerals. No burials. No touching corpses. No autopsies. Garnished. Your medical school do not become a nazar. That's the rule of thumb. What? That's a real thing. Uh, okay. You guys think I'm making this up? I'm not. You know I'm not making this up. I have a friend here in Atlanta who's currently studying at Emory, one of the Emory Medical School related schools of medicine. There you go. I just circled around that twice. And this guy has a skull in his car. No, he's not an expert. No, it's totally legal. Because they're, they're examining... Sc- oh, is this a little gross? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Can someone pass the babka, please? I'm just... Listen, I'm just... I'm telling you... Listen, I'm just saying... Huh? There's... Are you saying it's suspicious? It's totally sus. Listen, here's the deal. Does he go on dates? He told you. He's married with children. He doesn't need to go on dates. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's a skull... Four, I hope we all have a skull in the car. All right, listen, I hope we don't. I'm just saying. Um, look, he's got a, he's, he does his thing. But a Nazar could not come in contact with death, with, with, with anything related to death. Now let's take a look. I'll put it up, pull it up on the screen. I'll, let's take a look at text number two from Rambam. Maimonides organizes it beautifully. You've got to love Rambam. Rambam is the ultimate organizer. He is fantastic. Maimonides, in his aptly named Laws of the Nazarite, Hilchas Nazir, or Nazirut, writes the following. There are three matters forbidden to a Nazarite. Number one, ritual impurity resulting from contact with a human corpse. He goes in opposite order. Number two, shaving his hair. And number three, partaking of products of the vine. This applies... I rolled my eyes because I rolled my eyes at my own joke in my head. That happened. This applies both, okay, that joke wasn't divine. There you go. This applies both to the fruit or the waste product of the fruit. Alcoholic beverages made from dates, figs, or the like are permitted to a Nazarite. Vodka? Good. Vodka, okay. Scotch? Sure. Knock yourself out. Yeah, you can. <laughs> What's wrong with being a Nazarite? We still get the, get the hard liquor? No problem. Right? No wine, no problem. Beer is okay. Beer is okay. Absolutely. Beer is okay. Um, Bourbon is okay. What else do we have? 
Yeah. Tequila. For tequila. Is tequila okay? Sure. Yeah. What is tequila made from? Agave. Is that a cactus? Yeah. Whoa, that's so cool. They were prescribing for Samson that it said he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Oh, so Samson got the old no strong drink prohibition. All right. Samson got an extra little... <laughs> extra level of but but Rambam says right here other alcoholic beverages are fine the Shechar I'm going to read that Hebrew word here in this text the Shechar forbidden to a Nazarite by the Torah is an alcoholic beverage made from a mixture of wine so if there's wine in it it's not it's a problem if there's no wine no wine no shoes no problem something like that now let's talk about some assorted Let's talk about some. Remember when those signs were on the? Yeah, no shoes, no shirt, no yeah. right. But here it's no problem. No problem. No wine. No, huh? I think it's a country song too. Oh, is it a country? Yeah, you know me, all into country music. Um, listen, you think you're the only one that likes Shania Twain? I mean, seriously. Back, back. All right, back to our story. Back to the narrative. We don't want to lose the plot here. Back, back to the narrative. All right, so when it comes to the Nazar, how long is a Nazar forbidden in all three areas? What do you think? How long is the Nazar out? 30 days. 40 days? M- minimum of 30 days, maximum of? Whatever they want. It's up to minimum 30 days. If someone says, like, I'll be a Nazar. Oh, whoops. No. If somebody takes an actual, it was not, if this was a real Nazarite pledge, it would be followed by, what have I done? But anyway, this was just a... <laughs> Um, right, so the minimum baseline is 30 days. Max could be as long as you want. You could do it for a year, 10 years, or forever, right? Could be forever, Nazir. It's a thing. Um, when a per- if a person doesn't do it forever, if they do it for a set amount of time, upon the conclusion of that time period, there's a whole ritual involved. You got to bring a sacrifice. You got to go to the temple. I should probably reorder that. You have to go to the temple, bring a sacrifice, and then you got to shave all your hair. Yeah, you got to cut all the hair, all the hair that you couldn't cut. You got to take it all off, take off all the hair, and then your Nazarite pledge is over. What happens if somebody, um, if somebody messes up? Like, whoops! I was a Nazir, middle of the thirty days or the middle of the year, whatever it was. Um, you know, oh, oh, I drank something. I thought it was something else. It turns out it's wine. What do I do now? What do you guys think? You got to start over again. But before you start over again, you have to do the same process as if you finished. Yeah, you got to bring the offering. You got to shave all the hair. Then you got to start again. Unless you like that sort of thing. That's no fun. <laughs> so if you're Nazir, you just got to see it through. Now, let's talk about some other assorted Nazarite laws. You guys ready for a potpourri of... Nazar, Nazar-related prohibitions. If you're a Nazar, I feel like this is a Jeff Foxworthy stand-up page. You might be a Nazar. No, yeah. Um, if you are, you remember Jeff? I feel like this is a Southern. It's a very Southern class. Super Southern class right now. Super Southern. Bourbon, Jeff Foxworthy, country music. Yeah, we're all in. We're lot. We're locked in tonight. Super, super duper locked in. Okay. So, getting back to Jeff. No, getting back to assorted Nazarite laws. So, with, when it comes to the Nazar, the Nazar is, is, uh, is forced to abstain from wine products. Thus, the Nazar should not hang around a vineyard. 
one thing could lead to another. Just do not go to a vineyard. Nor should you hang around people drinking wine. These are not good habits to do if you're a Nazar. Right? If you're a Nazar, don't hang around the vineyard. Don't hang around this whole cabal. It's cabal? Drinking wine. It doesn't have to be a cabal. Just a group of, of friends drinking wine. <laughs> Find another group of friends. Take a look. No, this is legit. This is, no, Maimonides. Text 3a. If you guys had to print that, you would see it for yourself. But you have to take my word for it. Everyone online can fact check me. Maimonides says the following. According to rabbinic decree. It's not biblical. It's rabbinic. Oh, Centrini can fact check me right here. Perfect. According to rabbinic decree, it is forbidden for a Nazarite to sit in a gathering of people drinking wine. Instead, he should separate himself far from them because they present a hurdle for him. Our sages said, do not come close even to the area around the vineyard. The Talmud says, don't do the old vineyard tour. It's like, if you're an Azir, don't go to Sonoma. Just don't. Don't go. What's the whole purpose, though? Like, what's the metaphorical? What's the reason? Oh, we're going to get there. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, this is all the setup. We're, we're taking it slow right now. We're, 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 get, we're getting there. Now, let's keep on going. So that's one detail about the Nazir. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about another, another law. We're going to keep it right here. Text 3B. Where are the good questions? What do you use for keeping? Ah, oh. Oh, look at that. Ray with the good question. That's a good question. What do you do for Kiddush? What do you do for Kiddush? Scotch. <laughs> you ever seen? Uh, you ever see a Chabad rabbi in Simchas Torah? Scotch or vodka? No, I guess you would have, huh? Yeah. In France, well, because in France they don't have any wine. Yeah, France has no wine. Yeah, who has wine in France? Um, you would have to know. In all seriousness, right? All seriousness aside, um, no, Ray. You you would use some other beverage, or hear from someone. Doing the kiddush on wine or grape juice, and then eat, or do you could do um, kiddush on challah, right? Yeah, sure, challah back. Text three B. Oh, here we get into other related laws. Text three B tells us that you shouldn't even rub your hair vigorously if you're a nazir. Yes, it's going to pull out hair. I, Rambam, don't don't. don't. I'm just the messenger. Text 3B. No, it's great stuff. A Nazarite, a Nazar, scrubbing their hair with their hands and scraping their scalp with their nails need not worry about accidentally removing hairs because they do not intend to remove hair and it is possible that it indeed will not come out. In other words, that is not too vigorous. However, a Nazarite shouldn't comb their hair with a comb or scrape their hair with their head with earth. (laughs) Hashtag no judgment. For these... (laughs) For these activities, will certainly remove hair. I guess the only conclusion that I have is that that was a thing back in the day. They were, shall we say, exfoliating. So, so the, the point is, no vigorous, right, no vigorous scalp, hair, combing, and rubbing of the earth. No, it's a thing. They have the cucumbers in the eye. You get the thi- a hair mat, a little thing, a little earth in the hair. It's fantastic. Yeah. Can you imagine how clean it is when the earth is out of the hair? It's cavaldic. It's fantastic. Um, not to pull out hair. Or earth in the hair. Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. But I, it, could, it could be a, either way. Rambam says, I mean, there, these are details. But the, the general rule is. Is this only a guy thing? No. No. No, no. Women also could be a nuzzer. No, it's open. It's. 
It's uh, open to all. It's open to all. So here's the deal. Oh, we're going to get there in a second. Oh, we have a great, I have a great story for you. Great story from the Talmud. No, I mean, I could have my own great stories. No, but, but this, is, um, this is a great story from the Talmud. An actual legitimate story. Now, um, so these are some of the prohibitions of being a Nazir. Now, let's talk about one more thing. And that is that the laws of Nazir, not only the laws, the status of a Nazir really could only take place in the land of Israel. Why, you ask? Because rabbinically, the moment you step out of Israel into diaspora soil, you are already rendered on some level um, in a state of impurity. According to Jewish law, the diaspora has a state of low level or subtle impurity. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Therefore, if you're a Nazar and you're all about purity, how could you be a Nazar outside of Israel? It doesn't even make sense. It's a contradiction in terms. So if somebody, listen to this, if somebody, uh, we're about to read this inside, but I'll tell you outside first. If somebody outside of Israel takes the vow of being a Nazar, well, then they still have to keep all those restrictions. But until they go to Israel, the clock doesn't actually start. They still can't drink wine, cut hair, or come in contact with the dead. But when they go to Israel, clock starts. They get clocked twice. Basically, text 3C. I'm going to pull this up on the old screen. Text 3C, a Nazarite vow may be observed only in Eretz Israel. That means the land of Israel. When a person takes a Nazarite vow in the diaspora, he is penalized and obligated to ascend to Eretz Yisrael and observe his Nazarite vow there for as long as he vowed. Throughout the entire time he is in the diaspora, he is forbidden to drink wine, to become impure due to contact with the dead, and to cut his hair. He must uphold all of the requirements stemming from a Nazarite vow, despite the fact that the days are not counted for him. If he transgressed and drank wine, cut his hair, or touched a corpse, or the like, he is liable for lashes. Which is great if you have long hair, lashes. Should I like project the fact that I'm? It's a joke. Yeah, lashes would be lashes. Here would be a form of. I mean, listen, we don't usually talk about this, but yes, there was a form of corporal punishment in ancient Jewish law. Lashes. There's a specific formula, by the way, that's done. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. So anyway, but moving moving right along, the point here is that we have some, hopefully like a, like a, a sense of what the Nazar vow, what, what the Nazar experience looked like. Um, the Nazar experience included prohibitions against three things. Number one, you could not have anything from grapes or grape products. You could not cut your hair. You could not come in contact with a corpse. You with me? Yes? Yeah. In addition, be careful not to hang around people drinking wine, not to hang around a vineyard. No vineyard tours. Yes. No going to a hospital for sure, because in a hospital, the assumption is that there will be someone who's deceased under the same roof, which renders one impure, absolutely. Funerals, stay at a distance, etc. Um, we also read about, what did we read about? We also had the notion of, oh yeah, not rigorously um, scrubbing, combing your hair in such a way that the hairs will, will definitely come out, and that being a Nazar really only applies in the land of Israel. Now, here's a question. Can one be a Nazar today? Is it possible? Could somebody legally take the vow 
of Nizirut, of being a Nazar, today? Oh, wow. Sam just pulls out a Rambam, like, <laughs> like just walking down the street. Yeah, boom. I'm going to repeat it. I repeat it. My question was, my question was, you ready? I'm going to repeat my question. My question was, is Nazar a thing that can be done today? Here's the answer, because you're already like two steps uh, past. Here's the answer. The answer is yes, it can be done today, but it is somewhat challenging. Why is it challenging? Number one, because you can't conclude it. The only way to end it is with the sacrifice in the temple. There is no temple. I mean, Petri Temple doesn't, not, not the Holy Temple. The Holy Temple in Jerusalem with an altar, right? That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist today. So you can't yet, yet, by the end of the day, but not, not right the second. So therefore, if someone takes a vow of being an Uzzer, until, until there's a temple and a sacrifice, etc., they can't get out of it. So it might be for the duration. That's number one. Number, but, it's, but it could be done. Number two is, in general, the approach of Judaism is the Torah has given us enough prohibitions. We don't need to pile on. Are you with me on this? The Torah, there's, a, there's enough things, 365 categories of things that are, that are no-nos that we don't have to look for adding on more things. Like, oh, that thing that I could have, not going to do it, right? Dana Carvey, not going to do it. Like, what? We don't need to. That's an SNL reference. If you, if you get it, you get it. Um, the point is that we don't need to look for that. And that comes from the Talmud. Text number four, as we put it up on the screen, let's take a look-see. Um, the Talmud, in the aptly named Tractate Nazar, says the following. Rabbi Elazar Hakapar, the esteemed. I feel like that should be reversed. The esteemed Rabbi Elazar Kapar says, What is the meaning when the verse states, and make atonement for him for that he sinned by reason of the soul? With which soul did this Nazarite sin? Let me explain what's going on here. The, the Torah says that at the conclusion of the time period of being a Nazar, there's an offering. We talked about this the whole evening, right? They have to bring a sacrifice. What kind of offering is it? It's a sin offering. Why a sin offering? What was the sin? He didn't break it. He kept it. He's done. He or she is done with the time period. What's the sin? Rather, because he deprived himself of wine, he is called a sinner. Now, in other words, in other words, something that's permitted, and you say, as God says, you could have it, which means spiritually you can uplift it, whatever. And you say, but I'm not going to. That itself is, uh, is basically denying an opportunity of elevation. Now think about it. If a Nazarite who deprived himself only of wine is called a sinner, how much more so in the case of one who deprives himself of everything? Basically, Rabbi Lezer Kapar was advocating, was av- that's the invisible guy, Rabbi Lezer Kapar was advocating the notion of not living a life of abstention in general. In fact, there is a statement in Judaism that says that when we get above to the heavenly court, they're going to take us to task and make an accounting of all the things that we could have eaten that we didn't eat. And I know what you're thinking. 
what? But what it means is, what it means is, it doesn't mean everything. What it means is the notion that, that the things around us, of course, this is a mystical concept. Everything has sparks. We spoke about this last night at the uh, JLI class. You know, everything has a spiritual spark with the potential for being uplifted. So when we f- encounter something, when we engage, when we find ourselves in contact with something, the purpose is to elevate it, not to shun it, unless it's forbidden. But if it's permitted, find a way to utilize it. The Nazar who says, no haircuts, no wine, no getting involved with, uh, you know, with, with people that, have, that are deceased, that's, uh, that's, that's creating additional restrictions over God's restrictions, and that's not necessarily ideal. However, now you're going to ask, so why is it even a thing? So if we've just presented the fact that it's not an ideal status, it's not an ideal state, so then why is there even this provision? To this, we bring the Talmudic story that I alluded to, slash mentioned, before. And that comes from Tractate Nidarim. Here we go. Listen to this. It's a great story. It's a great story. Text number five. Rabbi Shimon Hatzadik said, Rabbi Shimon the righteous said, In all my days as a priest, he was a Kohen. I feel like he was also a Kohen Gadol. Maybe. Anyway, in all my days as a priest, he lived in the times of the Second Temple. I never ate the guilt offering of a ritually impure Nazarite, except for on one occasion. What he's trying to say is, I never encountered someone who actually was a Nazar and finished and brought the offering. I never, like, this never happened only once in my entire career as Kohen. One time, here's the story. Let's settle in. One time, a particular man who was a Nazarite came from the south. And, and I saw that he had beautiful eyes and was good looking. What? Let's continue. And the, no, 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 this is very important to the story. And the fringes of his hair were arranged in curls. I said to him, my son, what did you see that made you decide to destroy this beautiful hair of yours by becoming a Nazareth and thus being required to shave it? Are you with me on the plot twist? When you're a Nazareth, so you have to grow it out, which is good if you have that, that great hair. But then at the end of the period, I already mentioned before, those were my breadcrumbs that I've been dropping all night, right? Is, um, is that at the end, you bring the sacrifice and have to shave the whole thing. So he says, buddy, I was very what, what's going on? Why'd you, why'd you do this? Set it up. Now you have to cut all that hair. He said to me, I was a shepherd for my father in the city. Sorry. I was a shepherd for my father in my city back home. And I went to draw water from the spring. And I looked at my reflection in the water. And my evil inclination quickly overcame me and sought to expel me from the world. That's, of course, a euphemism to say that he looked at himself in the reflection. And he's like, ah, not bad. Ah, who is that guy? He was like, <laughs> right? He was doing that whole, that whole look. I don't know. Yeah, Tom Cruise. The little Top Gun. Huh? Yeah, my, my evil, I wish we had a text. My evil inclination quickly overcame me and sought to expel me from the world. What that means is the evil inclination, the evil inclination stirs us to do behaviors that are self-destructive. So I felt like I was starting to head down the path of narcissism and um, vanity and that which is, you know, a deadly sin, even though it's not it's not necessarily Jewish origins, but the the concept of something that ultimately will lead to my downfall. I didn't like where that was going. I said to myself, wicked one. He's referring to his yates or heart, the evil, the 
the vanity within, the ego within, wicked one. Why do you pride yourself? Listen to this. Why do you pride yourself in a world that is not yours, in someone who will eventually become worms and maggots? Whoa. He's telling himself that. Like, I'm taking pride in my own beauty, and what's, what's the end game? The end game is under the earth, and what? Yeah, it's that skull in that dude's car. I mean, like, it, right? It, the end is not uh, is not pretty. So wh- that's what you take pride in. That physical appearance. Come on, I swear. And, and he took an oath at that point, right then and there. I swear by the temple service that I shall shave you for the sake of heaven. Interesting. That's when he became a nazir. So Rabbi um, Rabbi Shimon Atzadik concludes his tale. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon HaTzadik said, I immediately arose and kissed him on his head. I said to him, My son, may there be more who take Nazarite vows like you among the Jewish people. About you, the verse states, a man or woman who sets himself apart by making a Nazarite vow to abstain for the sake of God, etc., etc., etc. So thus, the Talmud, conclude, the Talmud gives us a scenario through the, 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 the true story uh, that happened with Rabbi Shimon HaTzadik and this, uh, this, uh, this um, uh, Nazir, the Talmud tells us in which case it is a healthy decision. If somebody feels like their hair is not um, a positive thing, or that wine is not a positive thing, or that ritual impurity is not a positive thing for them, if they feel like they need this, then this is an option. This is an this is an available option for them. Why not just cut his? Why not just cut his hair? Yeah, I guess he was locking himself into that. So, so no, Leo's asking a question. Why not just, bro, just cut your hair? It's like I know a guy. <laughs> it's great. Grab the flow, the floby, the floby. Yeah, yeah, floby. Epic, Ep- The floby was the vacuum with the built-in, with the built-in haircut. So pull the hair at equidistant. Legit. If you were around in the late 80s, early 90s, and you were and you were at late night, yeah, 2 a.m., that's Floby for days. Floby for days. You could look it up. It, it made a comeback during It did make a comeback. It was the COVID comeback kid. Yes, it was a thing. Imagine if you want to cut your hair exactly two and a quarter inches all the way around. Good luck. You can you can Floby it. It's, I don't know who that is. Oh, 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 the stooges. Anyway, so here's the point. Here's the point. Um, as we vigorously Google Floby. I think it locks him in. Well, also, like, one thing is, like, not, you're not operating on impulse. You have to, like, commit to something, and then time has to pass enough so that it's, yeah. like, maybe... It's, it's not about you. Well, yeah, like, maybe it's kind of like... And maybe in the moment you're like feeling impulsive, you're like, yeah, why not? And right. then you give yourself enough time to process it. You're like, oh, I can't believe I agreed. Right. That. And like, I don't really want to. Yeah, what did I do? What did I set myself up? Right, so it's like the slow process of really, oh, good, I like that. I like that idea that Sam is saying. In other words, it's not just taking a haircut because that's a one, a one moment sacrifice. This is whatever the amount of period, maybe 30 days or longer, of knowing what's coming up and living with that realization of this is going to be shaved all the way down, you know, just taken all the way up. So it's an interesting story. And the point is, the point overall is that there is a place in Torah, there's a place in Hashkafa, as it were, meaning, um, which translate Hashkafa? Hashkafa would be um, 
like a perspective. No, no, that that would be like it would be like in, in a in a in a perspective in a philosophical place. There 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 is a place for being a nazir. Let's talk about some famous nazirs in Jewish history. Prop yeah. Because I'm struggling with okay, I agree with it, but then on in the same vein of like incorporating what we wrote earlier about it not being great because you're missing out on these mitzvahs, then why would it be okay to do it forever? Why would it not be? Why would it be okay to be a Nazir forever, a forever Nazir, right. if that means that forever you're going to miss out on opportunities? I guess if somebody feels like they need that, then they have to just cut that part out from their from their um, toolbox, as it were, of elevation, and that's it. I mean, we find, look, we find that in, in different ways, not necessarily in this context, but in other, other spaces where people have to abstain from things because for whatever reason it's not a, it's not a healthy scenario, and that's a, that's a valid approach. Why specifically the wine, the hair, and the, the and the death? Like, yeah. Why is it holier there, to not do, I don't to do not do the wine specifically? Well, the wine yeah. and hair and the like. What's yeah? I look, I mean, wine and hair could be connected with um, like. I mean, hair, we read a story about hair being van- related to vanity. Yeah, yeah. I think wine is also, um, wine is connected with with um, with simcha joy that could lead to frivolity. Right? It could, we see the major downfalls happen through wine. Adam and Eve, according to some opinions, they, the forbidden fruit was actually wine or grapes. Um, Noah, when he gets off the boat, right? Next thing you know, there he is planting a vineyard and just rolling around the vines. So... Yeah, so like wine, wine famously is uh, is is very even biblically is very it's very complicated. Yeah, well, I, it is. You're right, but there's something about wine. Anyway, I, it's a, the general lost his head. The general, I don't remember. No, no, she cut off his head. Who was it? You heard this? Yeah. Yes. Yes. You heard this right. 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 She fed him. What? She fed him grapes. Yeah. Sorry. Why? Oh no. Maybe you're right. It was milk. Uh, might have been wine and milk. Deadly combo. That'll do it. All right. But let's talk about let's talk about famous nazirs in Jewish history. So of course the probably the most famous nazir was Samson. Samson. But we're not going to talk about Samson today. But he was probably the most famous. Nazir, his Nazirut, his being a Nazir was associated with his strength, right? Famously, or what I call it um, infamously, right? When Delilah, Delilah, when she cut his hair, that was it. That was like keeping away Popeye from the spinach. That is not, not a good, not a good scenario. And that was, that ended his power until it came back in a final burst of strength to knock down the whole thing. Anyway, the point is that Samson was a famous Nazir, but tonight, tonight's class is not about Samson, i.e. Shimshon. It is about Samuel, Shmuel. So, yeah, so again, we, have, we have four names, really two people, but four names. The Hebrew of Samson is Shimshon. Shimshon, Hagibar. Shimshon the Mighty. Samson the Mighty is Shimshon, Hagibar. Shimshon, Hagibar. So that's one, that's not today's class. We're going to talk about Shmuel. English of Shmuel is Samuel. Now Samuel, Shmuel was a Navi, was a prophet. And he was one of the most prolific prophets in Jewish history. He lived about 29, a little over 2,900 years ago. 
And he was, he um, ushered, he helped the transition from the era of the judges to the era of the kings. So he did. So he, he helped usher transition um, Jewish history from the era of the leaders being the judges to the leaders being the monarchy to the kings. He was the one who anointed the first few Jewish kings, Saul, Shaul Melech, as well as King David, David Melech. Now, but the, what we're going to talk uh, about now for the next 10 minutes or so is the story of his birth. Because his was a miraculous birth. Very interesting. His was a miracle birth. What happened? His mother, Samuel's mother, Shmuel's mother, was a woman named Hannah. 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 We'll call her Hannah. Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. Okay, we got a lot of names. So there's a couple. Husband and wife. We have Elkanah. He's a wealthy fellow. Takes care of his what? He had two wives. Takes care of his wife, wives. Um, he's married to a woman named Hannah. Hannah is childless. Not only is she childless, but she is, um, she is unable to have children. Now, this pains her greatly. And so one year, every year she would visit um, the, they didn't have the, the Holy Temple. Remember, the Holy Temple was only built by King David's son, King Solomon. So this is well before that, decades before that, the temple was built. They had the Mishkan. They still had the portable sanctuary. It was docked, as it were, in a place called Shiloh in the Holy Land. So the Mishkan was in Shiloh. So she used to go make a pilgrimage on, on an annual basis to the to the the temple, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the sanctuary. So one year she found herself there, and she decided that's it. She's gonna pray her heart out for a child. Here is the narrative. Let's read this. I'm gonna read this. Um, I'll put this up on the on the screen. Let's do this. Text number six. Hannah's vow. And Hannah arose. After eating and after drinking, and Ailey, okay, Ailey was then the high priest. So I'm adding another character. Elkanah is the husband, he's home. Hannah is at the Mishkan in Shiloh. Ailey is the one who is officiating over there. He's the priest or the high priest. So Hannah rose after eating and drinking, and Ailey, the, the priest, was sitting on the chair beside the doorpost of the temple of God. And she, Hannah, was, in, was bitter in spirit. And she prayed to God, she was heartbroken, and she prayed to God and wept. And she vowed a vow and said to the Lord of hosts, If you will look upon the affliction of your bondswoman, and if you will remember me, and you will not forget your bondswoman, and you will give your bondswoman a child, and I shall give him to God, and I shall give him to God all the days of his life, and no mora, and no mora shall come upon his head. That's her deal with God. She says, if you give, she calls herself your maidservant, right, to God. If you give me, essentially, a child, I will bring him, I will give him, dedicate him to God all the days of his life, and no mora shall come upon his head. Okay, one second. And it was, as she prayed long before God, that Ailey watched her mouth. He was watching what's going on with this, with this woman. But Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, and her voice was not heard. And Ailey thought her to be a drunken woman. Speaking about wine, right? He thought she was drunk. And Ailey said to her, Until when will you be drunk? Throw off your wine from upon yourself. He basically said, If you're drunk, 
you got to leave. It's not a place, you don't belong in the temple. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit, and neither new wine nor old wine have I drunk. And I poured out my soul before God. Take not your bondswoman as an, as an unscrupulous woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and my vexation have I spoken until now. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the, and, and the God of Israel will grant your request that you have asked of him. And she said, May your bondswoman find favor in your eyes. And the woman went on her way and ate, and her face was not sad anymore. That is the end, that, that, is, um, that excerpt of the story. So I hope, this story, I hope the narrative is, is fairly clear. Chana is desperate for a child. She goes to the, to the Mishkan, to the temple. At that time, she prays the way we pray the Amidah, which is we say it verbally, but quietly, so only we can hear, no one else can hear. This was a very unique form of prayer. In fact, the way we pray the Amidah is modeled after her prayer. We learn it from her. We get our Amida style from this story right here. This was the first time anyone had ever done that. Everyone always prayed out loud. First time somebody prayed and she, he thought she was drunk. She's talking to herself. So he's like, if you're drunk, you need to go. She says, no, I'm heartbroken. I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm, I'm pouring out my heart and this is the way it's coming out. He said, in that case, may you be blessed. Well, as it just so happened, guess what happened? She had a baby, Mazel Tov. She had a little boy, and she named him Shmuel. This is Shmuel's origin story. She better name him Shmuel, or else I just wasted time on another story. right? Shmuel, she named him Shmuel. Samuel in English, but she didn't have English then, so they named, she named him Shmuel. Shmuel means, because I asked of God, Sha'altiv of Hashem. It's not Shmuel like Shema, like God. Listen, it's a different different etymology here because I asked of God and, and ultimately God did deliver. She then, when he was weaned, when he was a few years old, she brought him back to the temple. She said to Eli, the high priest, he's yours, raise him. He was raised in the temple. He became a prophet of God. And he was a Nazar. Why was he a Nazar? Remember when his mother said that if I have a child, I will give him to God and no Mora will touch his head? Well, what's Mora? The Mishnah the Mishnah discusses it. The Mishnah um, deciphers this in Tractate Nazar and says the following text number seven. Samuel was a Nazarite in accordance with the statement of Rabbi Nehorai. The verse states that no mora shall come upon his head. Mora is stated regarding Samson. It uses the same language by Samson. Samson lived earlier. Samson was one of the judge was one of the judges. This was after this was the this was shepherding, this was transitioning from judges to kings. So Samson, who lived a little bit before, he, we know he was certainly a, uh, a Nazar. And Mora stated regarding Samuel. So use Mora in both contexts. Just as the term Mora that is stated with regard to Samson means that he was a Nazarite, no razor shall touch his hair, his head. So too, the term Mora that is stated with regard to Samuel indicates that he was a Nazarite. Okay, so they were Nazarites. Let me ask you a, a simple question that is not so simple at all. It's a klotzkasha. It's the obvious question. How did Samuel become a Nazarite? His mother pledged. Unbelievable. Because his mother said that he should be a Nazarite, a Nazar, he becomes a Nazar? Since when? And it's a forever one. It's a forever Nazar from his mother. A Nazar from his mother's. For a Nazar from his mother. How is it even possible? How is it even possible? Take a look at the Radak. The Radak, Rabbi David Kimchi asked the following question. It's, it's unbelievable. Look at this question. This is text number eight. 
and Chana vowed a vow. He says, my question, he's one of the great commentaries on the, uh, on, on Nach, on the, on the books of, of, the, of the prophets, on, on Samuel 1 and, Samuel had two books named after him, Samuel 1 and 2. So, Chana vowed a vow. He says, the Radak, Radak is like, like, I mean, Rashi is also on, the, there's Rashi's commentary, but Radak is one of the big ones. My question is, how did he, how did her vow take effect on her son, that he should be a Nazarite? Moreover, he wasn't even born at the time. So how could a vow have any effect on him? How can you vow something that doesn't even exist? My next question is, says the Radak, how is it possible that our rabbis offer no explanation in this regard? No one talks about it. I have not found in their words anything on this matter, neither in the Midrash nor in the Talmud. So the Radak says, I don't get it. How is this guy in Azir? There's no record, nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that when he got older, he made a vow of being a Nazir. It seems like his, his being a Nazir is related to his mother's vow. But how could his mother's vow work for him? That's his question. And then his second question is, why am I the only one that's asking this question? Seems like an obvious question. Why is no one else asking this? Let me share with you a powerful angle that the Rebbe shares on this. In other words, sorry, let me break down the question so we can understand the answer. Sometimes when you really understand the question, you can start understanding the answer. That's the way it works. When you really, it's when you have lack of clarity in the question, you'll never get to an answer. If you really understand the question, you can really understand, you can start approaching an answer. The question really is like this. When did he become a Nazir? When? Through which mechanism? Through his mother's vow or his own action? Well, he ne- there's no record of him ever taking that vow. So then we must say it's his mother. But how could his mother have an effect on him? His mother took a vow back then, how does that affect him? And he wasn't even like, he wasn't even in an embryo. He wasn't, he wasn't even around. Yeah. But some mothers he, will say, my son's going to be a doctor. My son's going to yeah. be a doctor. Yeah, that's for sure. Right, she's already envisioning. By the way, that's where we're going with this. But okay. but like, but it seems like she, it's like way it, how if he didn't take a vow later, so how does her vow affect him? If her, and if her vow doesn't affect him, so then why is he an Azar? Like, how does, how does this whole mechanism work? So the Rebbe, the Rebbe compares this to a very interesting parallel case in Halacha regarding an individual who converts to Judaism as a minor. So listen to this. Listen to this. Text number nine. This is from the Code of Jewish Law. It's very interesting. Okay? But before we do this, there are three components to a conversion. Component number one, is accepting Torah and mitzvot. That's like the basic. Component number two is going to mikvah. Three, if you're male, to have a circumcision. Those are the three components. Okay? Those are the three, listen. Those are the three, those are the three, those are the three pieces. But what, but that's, but but the, the first, the most, I, I would say the most central piece of it is, I mean, mikvah and circumcision, okay, fine. But what's, um, but, but accepting Torah and mitzvot means that you have an awareness, you know what you're accepting, it's, it's a thing. Can a minor consent or accept that? Or might you say it's not binding? It's a, it's a question in halacha, can a minor... Here's the answer, text number 9. Minor, under, under the age of 12 or 13. Yeah, under yeah under the age of majority, and the age of minority. Right, so a girl under 12, a boy under 13, can there be conversion? The answer is Yes. Take a look at text number nine, or take a listen. Regarding conversion of a Gentile who is a minor, if he, it's assuming male, but it doesn't, it's, it's not gender specific here. If he has a father, the father may convert him. So a parent 
can convert the child. In other words, if the parent converts to Judaism, right? So the child can also convert along with the parent. If he has no father and comes on his own accord to convert, the bet then converts him for converting is considered a privilege, and we may confer a privilege upon someone even in his absence. So what the first paragraph here states, that one could be converted as a minor. However, one second. Whether his father converted him or the bet then converted him, he may repudiate the conversion when he reaches adulthood. In other words, upon reaching the age of bar mitzvah, this individual could say, you know what? I'm out. I don't want it. In that case, he's not considered a Jew who has abandoned Judaism, but rather he's considered a Gentile. In other words, it's, it's like the conversion never happened. This applies only, but, oh, oh, one caveat. This applies only when he didn't live like a Jew after reaching adulthood. However, after Barabbat Mitzvah, however, if he if he led a Jewish life after reaching adulthood, he cannot later repudiate the conversion. In other words, even if he, even he does or she does, it doesn't actually affect the conversion. So let me summarize this and let me tell you where we're going with this because this is very powerful. So when it comes to a minor, the rule is that a minor can convert to Judaism, whether with the assistance of, the, of a parent or the Betin. If a minor really wants to convert, the Betin will say, the rabbis will say, okay, sure. But when you reach the age of majority, we're going to check in with you again. When you reach bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, when you reach the age of, you know, a full understanding, we're going to check in again. If, when you check in again, the, the individual says, you know what, I'm out, then it's done, it's like it never happened. If they just continue, you know, opting in, then it's... So the rabbi asks a simple question. When did the conversion take place? <coughs> in this scenario, when does the conversion take place? When they're a minor, how can, how, clearly full conversion can't take place because if when they become Barabbat Mitzvah and they say, I'm out, then it's like they never converted. So clearly the conversion didn't happen then because if it happened, they wouldn't be able to repudiate it. Are you with me on that? And if they can repudiate it, that means that whatever happened didn't actually happen. So then when does the conversion actually happen? Uh, let me restate that. If at Barabbat Mitzvah, it's not repudiated, which means that they continue, the individual continues to opt, in, to opt in. So when did they convert? Then, but they didn't go to mikvah again. They didn't have another, another circumcision. They didn't reaccept, they didn't formally in front of a bet and reaccept it. So what's going on? Are you with me on the question? When, bottom line, when does the conversion take place? So the Rebbe introduces a powerful concept. And the concept, I mean, it's a concept that makes sense to us, but in this context, it's like that, and it's going to also work with the Nazar, with, uh, with the story of Samuel, story of Shmuel Anavi. When does the conversion take place? The answer is, it's a process. It begins as a minor. The process begins rolling as a minor. And it becomes confirmed upon reaching the age of majority and remaining opting into that. Which means that the conversion didn't happen completely as a minor, but you started a process that will culminate at a certain point in time. When that point in time hap uh, occurs, when, when they, the person reaches 12 or 13, and they say, still in. At that point, that reveals lemafreya, which means retroactively, that what happened then was a real conversion. If they say then, at the age of 12 or 13, upon reaching the age of majority, that they're out, then what that means is, that the ball that started rolling actually didn't really mean that. 
So it's a process, and I, I think this makes sense logically, right? It's not that the conversion happened or didn't happen. It's not a binary either or. It's a little bit more complicated than that. There's a process that unfolds. It start, there's a starting point and there's a culmination point. If the culmination never happens, then it means retroactively the starting was a false start. If it, if it continues, then it means that it was a, was a viable start. The rabbi says the same thing is true with Hannah. She didn't know if her son would continue being an Uzzer. She didn't know she was going to have a son. For sure. She was praying for her son. She had no way of knowing that her son, upon being born and living his life, would remain a Nazar. She can't force that. But she started the ball rolling. And when he continued to live like a Nazar, he continued carrying on the legacy, or not even legacy, the path that she had set him upon. So we asked before, the Radak asked, when did he become a Nazar? She said it. He, when did he say it? It's like the conversion story with the, with, the, with the minor. It starts with the mother. If he, upon you know, reaching the age of, of awareness, says, I'm not doing this, I'm out, then that means it never happened. She started something, but it never happened. But if he opts in, then when did it start? With her. This is a powerful construct, philosophical construct. That you could have something that starts in one place, but we're not sure where it's going to go until a second action either happens or doesn't happen that then reveals what was the nature of that first action. You know, in life sometimes you don't know what one story means until another story happens, right? Something happens in life. Something happens. You're like, is this good or bad? We don't know. Until another point in time happens, they're like, ah, that was actually good. Or, oh, that was actually not so good. Oftentimes, things don't happen only in one shot. Life is a continuum. It's like a story. You have to turn to page 253 to find out what page 17 meant. When Shmuel lives his life as a Nazar, now we know that his, his mother's vision was that vision. If he didn't, it would have just been something that she said in the moment that she felt. When somebody converts as a minor, are they converted fully? No. If they continue living like a Jew, great, that's the conversion. That reveals that what happened then as a minor is a conversion. If not, okay. So it's not. You with me on this? It's, it's an unbelievable construct. Again, it's a philosophical construct that has very real halachic or very real ramifications in, in these discussions. That you can have a story that unfolds over multiple acts. And in one single act, the story is not done. It takes another act or maybe another act or another act, multiple acts, multiple days and maybe years and maybe lots of different things to happen, lots of changes to happen to reveal what was the actual meaning of a prior event. You with me on this? So what's the takeaway? There are many takeaways. I've thought about this a lot. There are many, many takeaways. I mean, even if we ended right here, I think Dayenu. It's like a little abstract, but it's also a little bit concrete. We can think about our own lives and what we might call pivotal moments in our lives, right? Like major choices in our lives. We made a choice. We had one intention. We had one thought, but we don't know how it's going to play out. Until it plays out, and then we're like, oh, or ooh, right? 
or somewhere in between, or maybe both sometimes, or both. So that itself, that itself is a lesson that I think is a dayenu. But I think I want to go a little bit, a little bit more concrete and a little bit more applicable. Pirkeiavos in Ethics of Our Fathers it says, You don't have to finish your job. You don't have to finish. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to get it done. Why? I mean, if only we could get it done. But don't feel the pressure to have to get it done. When I say it, I mean like, you know, world peace. Or whatever it is. But you're not free, therefore, to desist from starting. It says powerfully in Pirkei Avot that there are two points. There's getting the ball rolling, and then there's finishing it. And although we may, we may not finish it, we should get the ball rolling. Chana could not finish his Nazar status. Because how could she? She wasn't him. But that didn't stop her from getting the ball rolling. It didn't stop this mother from having a vision for what she wanted her, so what she dreamed for her son to be like. And for her to articulate that and to tell him. And I'm sure she reminded him about what her vision was for him. So can she get the job done? No. Should she therefore say, well, then let him do whatever he wants? No. Are you with me? There's a nuance. Sometimes, and it's not only with parenting, it could be anything, mentoring, educating. A person feels like, well, I can't learn for them. I can't do for them. I can't change for them. So then they're on their own. No. You have to be a little bit more nuanced than that. You may not be able to finish it. However, but you don't have the right to not get it started. You have to get it started. How it plays out may be out of your control. But you got to get it started. Do that mitzvah. Is it going to bring Mashiach today? That might be out of your hands. The outcome might be out of your hands. But don't ever let that out of control that that out of your hand outcome sway your decision whether or not to get the ball rolling you with me on this it's reflected in halacha with the conversion it's reflected in the story of Ghana and it's reflected in our lives so often we say well if i can't finish it i'm not going to start i'm not going to bother if i'm not going to go all the way with kosher so then why should i go to this kosher restaurant once what's the point i'm going to go meet my friends at a kosher restaurant why who am i who am i kidding don't let the further point in time alter or dictate what you're going to do right now. Do right now what you need to get, the, what, what should be done, the best thing that can be done right now. And let the chips fall where they may. We live life in the present. We live life one frame at a time. We don't live life a thousand frames ahead. That, yes, that will somehow inform retroactively what this meant. But we don't have that. We don't have the book. We don't have the script to see how the end and the beginning are intertwined. We're playing it out in real time. And therefore, the message, my personal takeaway from tonight is, don't ever let that future, that unknown future, get in the way of what your choice is right now. L'chaim. Thank you for joining me tonight for Torah Studies. Questions, comments? Comments was...
well done, Yashikawa. Thank you. Thank you. It's very environmental. Like it's a it's a good argument for environmental conscientiousness. Like saying like, well, we're already doomed. Great, great point. It's like yeah, global warming, the planets, yeah. Pff, yeah. we're done. Yeah, it's not. We're not turning the ship around. Too big of a problem. We had that event here, environment, um, uh, Jewish wisdom till the earth, with Joanna Koblifker and me. So we spoke. I shared some Jewish wisdom. She shared some Jewish wisdom on on, on 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 the environment, and that was a point that she made with the study. She's like, you know, based on the science, it's looking pretty gloomy, but layata ben and We gotta, we gotta, we gotta listen. The Torah says baltashus, right? Can't uh, can't waste. We gotta we gotta utilize the the resources wisely. Anyway, that's one example. It's a, it's a it's a practical example. We na- may not be able to finish a job. We gotta get it started. It's also a defeatist attitude. Like you don't have, it doesn't have to be environmental. It's really frustrating to hear somebody say, "Well, like you know, I can't, like what what you're saying. Like, I can't finish it, so I won't start." Not gonna. What's what's the point? See, we also and, and Jewishly, it's also the same the same tendency to say that. Well, I'm not gonna become like the super Jew, so then whatever. No, who's talking about super Jews? Who's a super Jew? I mean, I, yeah, I saw that guy with the J flying by, but like <laughs> that might be super Jew. But like, who's a super Jew anyway? Right? Let's do the one mitzvah right now. That was the Rebbe's whole thing. Rebbe's whole the whole whole. Um, uh, focus with the mitzvah campaigns was s- stop somebody on the street. Are you Jewish? Would you like tefillin? Would you like Shabbat candles? Let's do one mitzvah. Yeah, but where are they going? Mm-hmm. Kind of who cares? Yeah. That's no, no, right? Not as flip, but like yeah. right? Not who cares? But like, why is that relevant right now? Right, right, right. Yeah. Right now, right? It's like imagine if Hannah said, "Well, I don't know what my son's going to be like, so who am I to say that he should be a Nazar?" Thank God she didn't say that. She's like, he'll be an Uzzer. And if he opted out, he opted out. If the way it played out didn't work out, okay. The, the child who converts, if they don't opt in, all right, they didn't opt in. But that doesn't stop you from starting to get the ball rolling. Right, and, and that is, I mean, aside from the fact that every mitzvah is, is infinitely eternal. And even if it doesn't lead anywhere, that itself is a connection that's unbroken. A connection with God, a moment of, of connection with pure truth that can never be taken away. Can never be taken away. Anyway, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. But it all, just to kind of bring it all back together, just so we, you know, sometimes when we're trying to think about a class, like, what was it? So just to, just to recenter, we talked tonight, tonight about Nazir, various laws and jokes, but we eventually got to the story of Hannah and her son, how she pledged him to be a Nazir. And the Radak says, What's that? who can do, how can she do that for him? And you know what the answer is? She couldn't. But she got the ball rolling. She got it started. She had a vision. And she knew that even though she can't finish it for him, she'll get it started. And so when he was born, I'm sure she told him, by the way. Yeah, yeah, about that. <laughs> you may have noticed that your friends are getting haircuts. However, <laughs> you may have noticed that in, uh, that in your friend's sippy cups... <laughs> No, 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 no. We are not suggesting putting uh, wine. Huh? Great, yeah, just grape juice, right? Keep it, keep it kosher. You, you can find a lot of things in the Talmud. No, no, no. Yeah, the, ta- the Talmud talk about long hair. It could be. Yeah, yeah, in general, long hair is, uh, is not a desired thing. I, I have my own stuff with hair. I usually just let it go for a while. 
Yeah, yeah, long. Okay, listen, we're not going to judge it. Um, Ray, yeah, jump in. Hold on one second. Ray, yeah. You were using the term Moran before. Yes. Did I say, well, you don't mean a teacher. What do you mean? You no, 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 a razor. No. Mo, it's Mora. Mo, mo, uh, mo, one second. Let me see the original verse. The original verse says, give me a second. Give me a moment. One second, one second. Was it Mora? Let's see. The, let's see, let's see. The original says Mora. Yes, correct. Mora. So Mora could either mean fear or it could mean something else. I mean, it also could mean be related to teacher, but no. That Tam, the Mishnah proves by the um, usage of this of the same word with Sam with Shimshon and Shmuel that it's, and it says no mora shall be on your head. I mean, what else shall pass over your head? What's that referring to? So it's referring to specifically a razor, uh, referring to a haircut. But that's exactly the etymological conversation, the language convo that the uh, that the Mishnah is doing. All right, questions or comments? Yes. You spell it different with a hay or with an oak? Uh, no, same thing with a hay. Straight up with oh, a hay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Thank Questions, comments? Pla- yes. You're welcome. I had the same question. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Mom. There's a famous story. I don't remember who the man was. I, I'm, I'm not sure. But it, he was planting a carrot tree. And the, and the young man said to him, Why are you? You're, you're an old man already. You're planting a carob tree. What are you doing that for? And he says, I'm not planting it for myself. I'm not even planting it for my children. I'm planting it for my grandchildren. Right. That's a great, it's a great example of somebody who's carob doing carob. Carob. Yeah, not carrot. Yeah, not carrot. That would be confusing. That would be confusing. Um, yeah, carob tree. A carob tree. Take se- yeah, there was a 70-year tree, and he said, I think he also said all these trees that we enjoy today, they were planted by those who had, so exa- that's exactly the idea. The, the idea here is, let's not think myopically, let's not think in the moment, like, oh, let's be stuck here in the moment, like, let's judge it. Let's, let's take a bit of a longer view, and sure, we can't, you know, like the guy planting the tree, we, we don't know if somebody's going to water it, or tend to it, or take care of it, if it's ever going to grow. But that's not going to stop me from planting it, because... I got to do what I got to do. This is one of the most, I mean, I don't know, when you rank like ideas and messages to live by, this is way up there. The idea of not letting the unknown future get in the way of doing what needs to be done. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty important thing. All right. Sorry? Yes. Yes. All right, folks, online crew, it's great to see you. Um, we're back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Don't forget, what do we have coming up? I don't know, just regular stuff. Classes. Always classes. Learning. Torah learning. All right. Um, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow in person, JLI at noon with lunch. Um, we have a barbecue, the IJA annual summer barbecue coming up. Join us for that. Um, state, well, officially it's the 26th, but I, but I just got word of something that I may need to address on the date, date-wise. So, all right, stay tuned for that. All right. Good, good to see you guys. Lila Tov, hope you enjoyed. Take care, everybody. See you later. Lila Tov. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, 
then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.